Amen. You can take a seat. Children, kids, you are dismissed to your kids' classrooms in the church. Bless you as you go. Uh, my name is Peter Nittler, and I'm the college pastor here at FBC. And you might be wondering, what is FBC? Who are you? Who are you? What are you doing here? And uh, the answer to that question is that we are a community of people who is helping all people discover faith in Jesus Christ and then to grow in love for God and for others and become ambassadors of hope by the power of the Spirit in the world. And that's a powerful mission, and it's, a, it's what animates and, and is behind everything we're trying to do. And so if you are new here or, um, or not feeling like you're quite plugged into that mission yet, it'd be great for you to reach out to us and just let us know who you are if we don't know you or if you have some ideas about what could be done or, or how you could fit in or just want to talk about something, it'd be great to, uh, to connect with you. And so you can scan that QR code right there or go to fbcdavis.org slash contact. And just a little foreshadowing for where we're going to go. There's some things that we're going to talk about that can help you get involved at church. And everything, you can scan that QR code to tell us, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in that, I'm interested in this. I don't want Peter to do the announcements anymore. That kind of thing. You can do all those sorts of things um, with that QR code. And uh, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's happening at FBC. And the first is this, baptisms, Okay. Baptisms are happening, you know, last week at this time, I was, well, a little bit later than this time, but I was at Z- uh, Tegan and Zach Morris's wedding, and when you are there, when you're at a wedding and you're experiencing that kind of joy, um, you're reminded, at least I was, of how powerful it is when people sort of make an intentional decision to celebrate and then to launch into like a new thing, a new declarative decision about what my life is going to be like. And it's, it just struck me again as I was preparing for, to, to tell the church about baptisms that that is what Christians get to do as we sort of declare we belong to Jesus, we're going to live for Jesus, and this is going to be the rest of our life. And so I invite you, if, if you are new to the faith and have not yet been baptized, this is for you uh, to declare that you belong to Jesus, to declare that this is uh, the, the life that you want to live, and, and to, we're going to have a people celebrating with you. And, uh, and watching you declare that. So if you're new, or maybe if you've been with Jesus for a long time but just never made it official, then this is for you too. So August 28th, scan that QR code. Tell us you're interested. It would be great to have uh, some celebrations of baptism. Second, okay, about three-ish months ago, I think, Gazium walked into my office, which is always one of the best things that can happen in a work day is when Gazium walks into your office to have a little chat. And he was wanting to know a little bit about retreats. He said, Peter, you've done a few of these things. Uh, any advice? And he's, because he's wondering if Rooted should do a retreat. And I thought that is the greatest idea I've ever heard in my whole life. I, Rooted must do a retreat. And so I became a big champion of the Rooted Retreat. And so I'm thrilled to be able to announce to you that Rooted is going on a retreat. The young adults in this church, this is great news. This is a community that was like a fledgling thing. And it's, it's going to do a legit full-blown retreat happening. This is great in September. And, um, and so voila, this is happening. Would you look at this? It's $125. A spacious Airbnb in Forest Hill is where you'll be. And you'll be um, circling the topic of, of uh, returning to the image of God. And uh, I, I just can't, if you're a young adult, or if you know a young adult, this is so crucial. More can happen spiritually, relationally on a weekend retreat than can sometimes happen in a whole year. This is jam-packed with good stuff. So I hope that you go. This is just to save the date. And if you want more information, you can talk to Gazium uh, or Olivia or Qua, or you can scan the QR code. Last thing is this. We have a group leaders kickoff on August 20th. And about this, I want to say two things. Um, the first is, uh, I'll tell you one thing that I love just about my life. And one thing I love about my life is the 
small, sometimes sort of in the background text messages that I get from my small group um, of people, my Bible study. Just in this last week, we got to sort of on the margins of life, kind of got to celebrate um, and pray for people's job interviews, got to celebrate people buying a house, got to celebrate someone getting a new truck. And, and then even just last night and this morning, got to pray for someone who thought that their dog had been lost and wake up rejoicing that, in fact, they hadn't. And, and this is the kind of stuff that happens when you are connected with people. This is the kind of thing that might not even register. And you might just be working um, all day and you might get a little text and it might not register as much, but it's profound. We are deeply, deeply connected when you're in a group of people. You're deeply not alone. And that's great news. It's one of my favorite parts about life and... Um, and and so I hope that more and more people get to experience that. I hope there's no one in here who feels alone. I hope there's no one in here who feels like there's no one they belong to. And if there is, we'd love to get you plugged in somewhere. Um, and so that's the first thing I want to say. Second thing I want to say is that our group does things a little differently. We, we have sort of rotating leadership. So someone will like take a quarter and they'll lead that quarter. And so the last quarter, Katie and I were the leaders of our group. And I have to say, it's more work. It's you're, you're planning more, you're communicating more, you're, you're thinking more deeply about what does this group need. And so it is more work. But there's, what tends to happen when there's more work, there's actually more joy too. And, and I felt that joy. I felt sort of a more nuanced, more profound love for every person in the group. I felt like I was living into something that I was gifted with. And it was a joy. It was a real joy. And so I want to say to you, if you've ever thought about leading a group or maybe thought, ah, do I want to lead a group? I just encourage you to think about it. And we're having, like I said, a group leader kickoff on August 20th. And would love, if you have any interest at all, um, just to reach out to Neil um, and or scan the QR code and, uh, and just let him know you might be interested in leading a group. No commitments, of course, yet. But I think that is it for me. And I've told you what I needed to tell you. And we're in for a good morning. And so I think I'm inviting up Steve. And uh, Steve will be preaching to us for the first time in quite a while. Did I not dismiss the children? I must dismiss. No, I dismissed the children. Yeah. I think the children are dismissed now, right? Did they already go? Okay, just, just to be sure. Because I think the last thing they want to do is hear me preach. But who knows? They may be very interested. Because I have a lot of pent-up preaching energy now. Um, I, and, you know, I may speak, when I get kind of excited, I tend to, like, my, you know, my octave goes up and my pace starts to, you know, frothing at the mouth. So if that happens, you know, you know, just kind of help me out here. Just kind of do, come on, Steve, just put on the brakes, you know, slow down, breathe, you know, don't get, don't hyperventilate. But now more seriously, um, I've been looking forward to this to some time because our summer series has been prayers from the heart. Um, and it's been great for directing us and giving us some structure of how we can channel our emotions to God. Now, sometimes, uh, we, the advice we've been told, the advice we end up passing along is, is that we are to vent these emotions that we have. The bad ones, the good ones, whatever. We've got to let them loose in order to be authentic. Uh, but that is a sure recipe for destroying people, uh, destroying our relationships, um, even deepening those emotions in us while not really ridding ourselves of it or actually making progress in them. Um, other times, uh, the message we've gotten or the message we maybe have inadvertently passed along to others is to stuff those emotions. Keep quiet. Just tough it out. Avoid the embarrassment. But, you know, that's a sure recipe for surrendering our voice that God has given us, for poisoning our heart and, you know, developing an ulcer. 
Um, that's why Tim Keller reminds us that God invites us. He challenges us to do something altogether different, to channel those emotions with honesty towards God for his help, for his attention, to pray those emotions, if you will, instead of venting them or stuffing them. And let's face it, we've all got a lot of extreme emotions going on right now, a, a chaos of emotions after all that we've been through the past few years. In fact, Dallas Willard uh, commented decades ago before all of the stuff that has gone on the last few years, he said, our feelings are now more difficult than ever to navigate in modernity. Um, of course, it was logistically more difficult in ancient times, but it was far easier, he says, to navigate their emotional worlds because they had these reliable stability structures of family and relationships and communities that kind of helped them out. And now, he says, we're just kind of left with what we feel to guide us. And that presents a considerable challenge for us, especially in light of all the upheavals that we've been through these last couple of years. Wouldn't you agree? Um, I'm sure many of you saw this on your newsfeed story about Disney World in late July. Um, two families were standing in line at Mickey's PhilharMagic Theater, an air-conditioned venue with comfortable seating. And, you know, after walking around and standing in line in Orlando in July, you have to picture the desperation these people must have felt to get in there. You know, like a promised oasis of recliners and chilled air after standing on the surface of the sun waiting for that teacup ride, right? And so with that in mind, picture the scene. One person in a family left the line to retrieve a phone that they had left with another person outside. And she tried to get back to her spot in line with her family, but there was another family there. And they were having none of it. Nothing of that. They blocked her from getting ahead, even though it was really obvious that she belonged to this other family. And needless to say, that family, they took umbrage at that. And one word led to another, and emotions and tensions rose to match that Orlando sun, right? Tempers raged. Words were exchanged even more. A shouting match ensued in Disney World gave way to a massive brawl between these two families in a classic Jerry Springer-style bout that spilled out of the theater and then onto the street in front of this theater. And onlookers, you know, were running for cover. They were cut, shielding their children. And, of course, there were people who had to capture this on their phone and put it on their social media feeds because who does not want to see some juicy stuff like that, right? Found it onto our news feeds. But all in all, 10 adults were duking it out. It got so bad, one person actually had to go to the hospital. And when I read that, I thought, this? This is the happiest place on earth? Are you kidding me? And after I thought about it a little bit more, I began to realize that if this kind of battling and warring is happening in the happiest place on earth, and it makes a whole lot of sense what's going on with so much of our world in terms of the battling and warring all around us. I mean, why would I be surprised that everyone is seemingly at war with someone else? That some group or polar opposite groups continue to battle one another? And so often I, I feel caught in the middle. Do you? I mean, sometimes I feel the attack. 
uh, especially in the matters of faith, because it stings for people to rightly critique what we have done wrong in the church. But it also really hurts when people go way overboard with stereotypes and unfair characterizations. But mostly, I actually feel stuck in the middle of this chaos and being surrounded by people who are warring and raging. People in the political world, battling out on social media, jousting going on between polar opposite groups or people who who then seem to resort to name-calling and really nasty characterizations of the other. So what do we do with that? How do we work through our emotions of living in the midst of a warring world that is drawing us into join in that battle? What perspective can we gain to navigate it? When I was on sabbatical, that's where I ran into Psalm 120 that is tremendously enlightening. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like you to take it out or your phone, you know, the app on your phone to Psalm 120, um, where we're going to hit on three essentials here, uh, pinpointing the emotion that we're actually feeling, praying those emotions, and then lastly, discovering the necessary resources to navigate it. And if you grab one of those blue Bibles around you and the chair in front of you or on the tables, it's page 100, or 516. And so follow along in your Bible, and Del Almetus is going to come up and read this morning's scripture. So let's follow along. Let's listen intently as he reads it to us. Psalm 120, a song of ascent. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you? You deceitful tongue. A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the boom tree. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Keter. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Endel. Now, the situation the psalmist faces is not unlike our situation. I mean, look at what I mean. Look at verse four in this, verse two in this prayer. It says, "Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue." Uh, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. That's what the psalmist feels trapped by, so much so that he is desperate to be delivered from it. Now, it may be that he feels personally attacked. That, that could be possibility, that people have lied about him, uh, that he's been deceived in some way. That, that is, could be a possibility. But it's actually much more likely, scholars say, that this is a description of the conditions they're surrounded with. Lying lips and deceitful tongues are, fabrics, are facets of the social fabric that they're living in. They're the social norm that's practiced all around them. That's why the psalmist would later exclaim in in verse 5, he says, Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. That the psalmist is living as if he's living with people who are in the far north of Meshech, far out out of Israel, 
hanging out with people in the far south in Kedar, both of whom are as far from the power and the presence of God that was centralized in Jerusalem at the time. He's saying they're living as far from God in his influence as I can possibly imagine. And that's devastating. Because in that place, it means that too long I have had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Warring and battling are in the air and surrounding them. People are in a war of words with other people. Groups are battling with other groups in mischaracterizations and assigning worse motives to other people. It's Disney World all over again in the ancient world here. And far be from being unmoved by this chaos surrounding and keeping kind of a cool head in the midst of it, the psalmist is wrecked, just like we would are. Notice he says, in my distress... I called to the Lord and he answered me. Did you notice the feeling word in there? Distress. Internally, there's anxiety, there's pain, there's sorrow from this warring all around. The Hebrew word root for this word actually has carries this idea of being bound up or tied up. And so as best as I can understand it, it's as if our, our guts are tied up in knots. It's in knots over this acute anxiety of what will happen with these verbal bombs that are being hurled at one another. It's knots with the pain of, over the injuries inflicted or, or received or, or felt themselves. It's knots over sorrow of people just not being able to get along. Doesn't that capture so much of what we feel with the warring and battling around us? I mean, every time a politician gets on the news, I'd love to say that I'm impervious and that I just love to stay in the loop about the news and kind of be a more well-rounded person. But in my gut, as I see them, I am in knots. Distress about what they're about to say about the other side. That other side's honesty, their motives, their intelligence, their morality. And granted, it doesn't always happen because sometimes, you know, they're just laying out their position or what they're going to do. But it's happened so much lately that I anticipate it when I see it. That's my internal response is that my gut is in knots. And that's the same dynamic I feel, if I'm being really honest, when I take a peek on social media. Or hearing the continuing conversations that are going on about COVID and masking. Or when I run into squabbles, you know, maybe at work or at home or the neighborhood or what awaits at school in a couple of weeks. Or happen upon those hot takes, you know, the clickbait of anger and fear. Or when I see road rage happen right in front of me on I-80 as I'm going home. It just feels like sometimes I'm in Disney World, surrounded by warring, sometimes being collateral damage, and sometimes doing my own damage. And so frequently, my gut is tied up in knots with the stress over it. 
And this distress, it presents an incredible challenge for us. I mean, venting that distress means that we're going to jump in and we're going to opt for hostility. You know, we're going to lash out to defend ourselves. We're going to take a side to the bitter end, even if the ship is going to go way down. You know, we're going to repeat those mischaracterizations and spreading it to others like some gangrene. That's what happens when we decide to vent our distress there. It's rarely a good thing. But stuffing that distress means it kind of looks like compromise. Like publicly agreeing with people we can't agree with, just to avoid the mess. Going along with the opinion in front of us to avoid the conflict. Numbing that distress, in fact. Food and alcohol, pot, porn, shopping, binge watching on Netflix, whatever ignores that feeling that we don't have to deal with, we can be preoccupied with something else. And that's why I feel trapped so often. I want to do something different when I think it through because I know, you know, venting and stuffing will eventually end up, you know, somehow destroying me, eroding who God's made me to be or what he's called me to do or the relationships that I have around. I mean, do you feel that tension too? Like, what do I do with this? And that's why God, why God offers what he does. He throws us a lifeline to honestly challenge those emotions to him. He's got big enough shoulders to bear that distress. <laughs> he's he's got, is secure enough to not be offended by it. And he's loving enough that he invites us to tell those emotions and he will meet us in them. And that's why the psalmist models, as he does, to pray this way. He says, In my distress I call to the Lord, And he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. Don't hear that as some call and collective prayer. This is a cry of someone when throwing themselves on God. They feel their distress deeply, and so they cast themselves on God, not just as a last resort, but their only resort at this time. Asking him to, like, snatch me out, give me that escape hatch out of this chaos. And after all, only God can deliver them from the urge to retreat, from really important stuff by hiding those feelings. And he's the only way of escape from the pressure to jump in and to jump into the melee and vent those feelings. This is a cry of desperation and even panic. In fact, it's not just a cry of desperation. It's... We might look at it as Bible talk, you know, kind of formal language, but this is a raw and unedited version of of, of an outburst with God. And we read a little bit later on in verse 5, he says this, he says, you know, woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. I mean, this is raw emotion here. If this were a text to God, it would come across the phone like this, as in kill me now. Right? We shouldn't fear expressing such emotions to God. In our distress over the warring around us, we pray, if I can put it this way, our deliverance and our woe. We bring our panic, our pain, our sorrow, whatever degree we're feeling in that, and we name it for God. Being honest about, you know, Just give me that escape hatch and I'll get out. 
In fact, I want to suggest something really crazy here. I want to suggest something actually counterintuitive. Are you ready for this? Praying these emotions of distress to God is actually not just a good thing. It's a healthy, kingdom-minded response that signals something really good going on inside of us. Here's what I mean. This psalm is the first set of psalms known as the Psalms of Ascent. These were prayers that Israelites would sing and repeat when they make their way from their homes to Jerusalem for seasonal celebrations of God. And so they would be singing this prayer of distress. They're feeling the gap between the warring that they're surrounded with and God's promised peace of being in his power and his presence in Jerusalem. That is, their distress was a cue that God's people saw something more for the human community than just warring to win, that they had a bigger vision, a better vision of peace come with God's power and presence. In fact, not feeling distress would be wildly out of place for us. It would be really weird because it means all we could see and appreciate was the warring to win. All we could envision was a future with an ongoing war of battle of wars and opinions and nothing better than some side winning and hopefully it's our side. Think of it this way. How strange would it be if you saw a person feeling no grief when a friend or a loved one passed away? They felt no loss with that person gone, no gap between that friend being here and not being here. What would you conclude? We conclude that they didn't love that person. They didn't value their presence in their life. That all they could see and appreciate about their life was their life without that person in it. That that's what they really loved about life. And that's why grief is a healthy response. Precisely because it acknowledges the gap in life we feel between a life with them and a life without them. And that's a similar dynamic going on here with the distress. We're distressed precisely because we feel the gap between the present warring that we're in and God's promise of peace with him in his presence. And so this distress is an emotional signal to us that we also sense God's promised peace, even intuitively. And then, that distress gets elevated That distress, it gets consecrated when we pray it to God. Praying that distress brings us back to the possibility and the promise of God's peace. It reminds us that God has made peace with us by Jesus entering into this warring world between us and God and that he died for us and to remove that hostility and bring peace with us. It reshapes our perspective of God doing that for others as well. So you know what? They might be worth finding common ground with. They might be worth finding a place of peace with them. And it reassures our heart that one day, one day, God will make a permanent peace as a facet of human society when Jesus comes back to rule and rain. Praying our distress is powerful, especially when we're honest and raw with God about it. 
It's then that we feel the gap. We appreciate that warring is not all that there is on the horizon, that God is there and God is here with the peace made possible by his power and presence that he will make an undeniable reality of in the future for us and with us. So is praying like your go-to when you feel this distress and the warring you encounter? I mean... Is it your go-to move when that knot in your gut appears? When you see those political barbs, the lobs on your social media feed, your own chosen battles in your life? It's powerful. It's powerful to name that distress and sit there with God until we kind of regain ourselves and the peace possible now and the peace undeniably being swallowed up one day in God's coming future. Now, whenever I start talking about prayer, I think like this is a good time to just stop (laughs) and actually try it. Okay? I mean, because I suspect that some of us are feeling this distress this morning. There's warring going on maybe in our home among our friends. Maybe we're just bothered by the, what we read in the news before we showed up to church on Sunday or we, we checked our Facebook page, whatever it may be. Um, and so I just I want to take one minute. I just want to pray silently. And if you don't have any of the distress going on, congratulations. You can pray for the people around you then, okay? Um, so let's just take a minute. Just going to be quiet and then I'll wrap this up, okay? So just quietly where you are, name that distress. Sit with the peace before God. O Lord of peace, hear our prayers. Amen. You see, in our distress, over the warring around, we pray our deliverance, we pray our woe to regain our posture. And with that posture, with that stance of seeing God's warring in light of God's promised peace, we can take such heart, we actually will have such resources that we will actually be able to do something transcendent. We will actually be able to do something that maybe is not natural to us, but is in fact supernatural. That we can seek peace with an eye of trust towards God to accomplish it in his way, in his time, without having to bear the burden that it all rides on us. Here's what the psalmist prays in verses 3 and 4. It's really interesting. Notice what he says. He says, What shall be given to you? That is, to the lying lips and deceitful tongue, right? What shall be given to you? And what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree. Right? The psalmist here, he shifts from who he's talking to, from God to these deceitful tongues. And he says, and he raises the question of, you know, what do they deserve to receive? And his answer, they'll eat the dish that they serve to others. Right? They'll get sharp arrows in return, which they had shot at others. Arrows from people returning those volleys or arrows from God piercing them with words of truth. 
and that they'll get glowing coals from the broom tree. You know, this long and burning fiery coals as God's reward for and, and, his, and God's way of righting the wrongs that they've inflicted with their words. He's saying the peace is going to come this way. When those worrying words, the words like recoil on them or God steps in to right those wrongs. He's saying warring words, they're going to recoil. And that happens by God's design. It happens by God's providence and it brings the possibility of peace. I mean, you know this from common sense, right? I mean, they slander people and oddly enough, people slander them or retreat away from them and they feel that. Right? They barb people with their words, and lo and behold, they find themselves barbed by some of those same words, and they're surprised by it. The Twitter wars, right? They start, and it comes back to roost on them. And this cycle, it just keeps happening until they feel the sting of those words, until they feel that snap of the rubber band back at them, enough to put the stopping of adding their words into this cycle of warring words to make peace possible. And when that doesn't work, God steps in. Not all is lost. He gives them every chance to stop until he's had enough with these kind of words and his coals will right the wrongs. This is just like what wise parents and loving parents do. When the kids are squabbling and bickering, our better parenting moments, which are not not many, but they're few and far between, and our better moments, right, We give them a chance to self-correct, feeling the recoil on one another, right? That is until it reaches a breaking point, and I don't know what that is for you. And we have to step in, and we got to stop it. And that's what the psalmist says happens with God and those warring words. It's a declaration. This is a declaration to his heart of peace winning out today. Uh, Tomorrow, at the end of the age, God will see to it. And then with that frame of heart, of mind, of soul, that's when we can do something supernatural, something transcendent. We can seek peace without the pressure of having to make it happen. God's going to make it happen. And without the weight of it all resting on our lips to force it to happen. Later on, The Apostle Paul put it this way. He said, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Saying you don't have to join in in the war of words. Shush down the battling. You don't have to compromise the warring of words and to avoid the mess. Knowing peace will win out by God's design, his providence, his power means you know, we, can, we can do what's honorable. Not recede into the background, but speak up for the weak. Speak up for the attacked telling honest truth with gentleness, offering to mediate, you know, that friend's conflict, just to name a few. And we can, you know, live peaceably. Not initiating the war of words, jumping in when we can, but, you know, and if we do, we can apologize quickly. Right what we have made wrong. And you know what? We can even, 
restrain ourselves, never avenging ourselves, not going on the attack, getting back when we feel like we're collateral damage or the target, even choosing silence to simply pray into it and do the other two items. I mean, this doesn't go to say that this is easy and automatic. I'm not suggesting that at all. But this reassurance of peace means we can seek peace without having it depend all on us. It just helps us to know that, you know what, we can take this next step of peace in that area of distress uh, over the war around us. And even if that just means just a quick prayer over it. You see, we're not the victim of our distress over the warring around us to our gut being in knots. We don't have to play the victim card with this. We don't have to sit helpless in our distress by venting it or stuffing it. Instead, we have to appreciate this feeling is in fact a signal of something significant happening in us that we maybe just intuit even, that we see a better world and a brighter future with God's peace come by his power and his presence. And we envision it because the peace that God brought us through Jesus, brokering it at the cost of his life at the cross. And we're assured of it because God has a really high commitment. He's pretty bought in with that by now. And so we use that emotional signal to pray it, to channel it. With all the rawness and woe that we feel and all the desperation for deliverance that we want in those moments. And we keep praying it and sitting there until the horizon of peace like lodges itself in our heart so that our posture changes. We can take that next step, just one step, that next step of peace so far as we're able. Or let me put it this way. In our distress over the warring around us, we pray our deliverance. We pray our woe to regain our posture so that we can seek peace. And to lead us further in this journey of prayer, I've asked Nikki Chapman to come up and lead us because she's someone who prays for me and has prayed for me for years now, and she keeps texting me like, how can I pray for you? And she's been doing it for years, and so I value her modeling of prayer, her passion for prayer, her belief that God hears and responds to prayer to help us enter into this moment. So, Nikki... Help us beware of our words, what we may say about others, especially on social media, regarding politics or any social stand. If some think differently than us, reading or hearing lies and unkind words about us can leave our hearts full of unnecessary hurt and bitterness. Lord, fill our hearts with mercy and grace for those who speak against FBC. May your light reveal the truth about who we are as your church, so that others hearing these things may understand these are lies and look for the truth about us here at FBC. Lord, in your mercy. May all the churches in the surrounding communities and beyond the county become peacemakers. Teach us how to, to live in hope and truth in spite of our circumstances. Holy Spirit, help us to keep our focus on you. May the words of our mouth always be pleasing to you. Remind us that not everything on the internet is true. Imagine that. So why spend time reading it so much? 
that the time spent doesn't consume our day or our focus. Rather, may our hunger to know you be deeper and never be satisfied. Lord, in your mercy. We cry out for justice, freedom, and righteousness for all people, that all have the right to live as equals, not just here, but in any country in the world. It doesn't matter their religion, country of origin, color of one's skin. To you, Abba, they are, they are, we are, all created in your image. You know all the evil that fills the hearts of those who use words to manipulate, intimidate, bully, and seek control. I ask that you be with the persecuted church, those who are threatened with torture, even death, if they don't reject you and turn away from serving you. Stop believing in you as God Almighty. Be a shield and fortress protecting them all. For us who love you, protect all of us who love you and are seeking you. Lord, in your mercy. <clears throat> 